first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Hello, everyone. I'm Tiana Sons from Delaware, and welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is a little different. With all of our critics being busy on some awesome future projects, we'll be taking the opportunity to listen to some fantastic interviews that they got to be a part of recently, including Snoopy Presents, One of a Kind Marcy, American and Odyssey, Into the Spotlight, and The Monkey King. To start us off, we're going to jump right on in and listen to my interview where I got a chance to talk to Craig Schultz and Raymond S. Percy about Snoopy Presents, One of a Kind Marcy. Hello, everyone. I'm Tiana Sanders reporting for Kids First, and today I am speaking with Mr. Craig Schultz and Mr. Raymond S. Piercy. Mr. Schultz is the son of the legendary creator of the Peanuts franchise, Mr. Carl Schultz, and is known for his work on the Peanuts movie and the Snoopy show. You may recognize Mr. Percy for his work on The Simpsons, Zootopia, Frozen, and the Record Ralph franchise, among many other animated projects. Their latest project, Snoopy Presents One-of-A-Kind Marcy, is headed our way, and they are joining me to discuss this one-of-a-kind feature today. How are you both today? Great. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm doing good. Super excited to speak with you about this production. I absolutely loved it. Um, And as we can see from this production, Marcy is not just Peppermint Patty's sidekick anymore. Um, In the film, we learn more about Marcy and who she is as an introvert, just being her brilliant and infamous self. So... Um, Mr. Schultz, what was the inspiration for making a film centered around Marcy and her being introverted? Well, it came for me, it came from watching the movie Hidden Figures. That movie, as you know, tells a story about the people behind the Apollo program and, and what they brought to the forefront. And we started thinking of what we would do with a Marcy special. And we thought, what better character in the Peanuts group to represent that hidden figures that are in all of us? We, we all do a lot of stuff behind the scenes and, you know, only 1% of us get the spotlight shown on us. So that's where the story started from. And from there, we built upon my love for golf and Marcy and Pepper and Patty. And, and it is what it came out being. Yeah, that's amazing. Like when I watched that, I would have never thought that it was based, like the idea came from Hidden Figures. It's an amazing movie. And I definitely see that aspect. It's definitely a really good movie. I love that that's where the inspiration was drawn from. Um, and this specific Peanuts film, you know, it stands out from the typical topics discussed in the other films. Uh, so, Mr. Percy, in terms of, like, the creative process, like, what did you look at, in a sense, to actually, like, draw the story? Like, I know Mr. Schultz said uh, the idea came from Hidden Figures, but do you just, like, look at Marcy and see, you know, what's her connection to develop the film? Or do you kind of look more at the message first? Um, I think both, you know, um, because this was about a character, Marcy, who is happy staying in, out of the spotlight. Um, we thought about what is a person like that going to be? And, you know, they're going to be more observant. They're maybe going to have a, uh, a a more vibrant fantasy life. Right. So we looked at films like Miyazaki films so that we could find those moments of stillness. So in this special, you're going to see a lot of shots where it's just like, uh, you know, ripples on a pond or leaves just in a tree to kind of show Marcy's um, observational skills. Uh, and also you'll see while she's thinking about things, we go into kind of her fantasies and and so that we can kind of visualize 
if she's feeling happy, if she's feeling scared, if she's feeling nervous. Right. And that's, I would have to say, that was personally one of my favorite parts, seeing those, as you call them, like the still moments where it's just Marcy, in a sense, and we get to really dive deep into her emotions and what she's going through in the moment. You'll also yeah. notice moments where she stays in the shadow a lot. So you'll see like mm -hmm. when she is uncomfortable, sometimes she's pushed into the sunlight. And that's something kind of to look out for, too, when you're watching the special. Yes, definitely. I agree. It's super creative and I absolutely loved it. Uh, so in the film, Marcy's uh, constantly looking for ways to solve problems, such as the pizza shortage at her school or just for, to helping Peppermint Patty with playing golf. And Peppermint Patty said that Marcy should run for class president, which Marcy was scared to do. Um, so for both of you, we're starting off with Mr. Schultz. What are your top three things that make Marcy one of a cop? Well, I think she's unique to the comic strip. When you look at all the other kids, especially growing up in the 60s, the way they interacted was totally different until my dad brought Marcy into the comic strip. Pepper and Patty had been there for like five years and he felt that she needed a sidekick, you know, similar right. to uh, Gleason and Carney and Martin and Lewis, you know, and even Andy Taylor and Barney, you know, so having those two work off each other was really what he was getting at in the comic strip. And Marcy allowed him to do that with her kind of unique personality and also helping Pepper and Patty, who with a D minus average and everything, she needed all the help she could get. This is Kids First Coming Attractions, and you're listening to my interview with executive producer Craig Schultz and director Raymond S. Percy about Snoopy Presents One of a Kind Marcy. Yeah, I love that dynamic duo interaction that you see in the other PS films. And what would you say are your top three things, Mr. Percy? Well, I'll just say this like, one of the things I love about Marcy is you know, she's not just a pushover, you know, she, yeah, maybe she's quiet, maybe she's soft-spoken, but you know, if she's pushed, she'll zing you back. And, and I love that about her, that, that uh, it, it kind of makes her this more full rounded character. I agree. Like Marcy's definitely a favorite, um, definitely even a fan favorite to other people who are fans of the PNS films, because she's just always there, always helping. I remember even like the, uh, I believe it was the Snow Days film where Peppermint Patty was trying to ice skate. She was there helping her with her dress and helping her out. So Marcy's always there. So um, Mr. Percy, in multiple ways, I feel like I can relate to Marcy. I tend to have great ideas and tend to want to help people, but sometimes I can be shy. And especially on a bigger scale, it's hard to do. So how are you hoping that Marcy inspires others? I think uh, when we were making this, that that was the the idea that we we hope that kids would watch this and realize they don't have to be out in the spotlight if that's not where they want to be in order to make a change that there's just there's good things that you can do you can volunteer in 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 sort of group things to help out uh there you know there's lots of different ways other than just being the leader right yeah i definitely agree like personally like i'm an ambivert so i have a little bit of that introvert side but also i can still like get up and speak in front of a crowd and i love seeing that with marcy as like, oh, I feel like I can, can connect to her. And I think that's definitely a big thing that's important with this film and how it stands out so much that you feel like you can just connect to Marcy. And that's a really good thing. Yeah, she can do those things, but she chooses not to. Right. <laughs> and just for one last question, what message uh, would you have to all the Marcy's out there? And why should they tune in to Apple TV Plus on August 18th to watch Snoopy Presents One of a Kind Marcy? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say it's because 99% of us in the world are all Marcy's. 
you know, most of us end up in, being in a job where we sit behind a desk for eight hours a day and no one recognizes we put in all the hard work day in, day out, year after year, and somebody else gets all the accolades, but you got to hang in there. You got to show up for work, do the job and continue on. You know, I, I, I think what I was saying earlier, that's like, you know, as long as you are doing what you love, um, you, you know, stick to that and, and don't worry about, um, you know, being thrust out into the spotlight if that's not where you don't want to be, or if that's where you don't want to be. Yes, I agree. Those are some great messages. Definitely, I was able to draw that from the film. You know, like Marcy had all them amazing ideas, and she still found ways to get it done, even without being in the spotlight. So this is definitely an inspirational film. I am so glad that you guys decided to put it into production. And I cannot wait for the rest of the world to see it. I know I loved it. So thank you both for speaking with me. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. This is great. An amazing time speaking with both of you. Thank you so much, Mr. Schultz and Mr. Percy, for your time. I'm Tiana Summers from Delaware, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have some more amazing interviews for you to enjoy. Stay tuned. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hello and welcome back. I'm Tian Sermons from Delaware and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Our next segment is Ishan talking to writer, director, editor, and producer Danny Wu on the documentary American and Odyssey to 1947. Hi everyone, I'm Ishan reporting for Kids First and today I'm super excited to chat with Danny Wu, director of American and Odyssey to 1947. During the pandemic, Wu stayed in Chengdu, China with his family and created a 22-minute short program titled My Life in China During the Pandemic, subsequently broadcast by CNN affiliate N1. American on Odyssey to 1947 is his first film to enter the film festival circuit. Super excited to chat with you today, so thank you so much, Mr. Wu, for speaking with me. Uh, the privilege is all mine. 
I'm always interested to hear why filmmakers are drawn to documentaries. Um, since I think all your films so far are documentaries, what drew you to the style in the first place? Um, I think it's more of a, it, it, it just accessibility, you know, documentaries, you know, as you can tell, um, there's not much barriers to entry, right? For a feature film, narrative feature film, there's going to be, you're going to, you're going to need a lot of big budget to make that happen. But as you can see, as I've been seeing, you know, for documentary, we've been on the circuit all year and, you know, there were complete films shot with iPhone these days, you know, people, people got that technology in in their pocket now. And so I think what drew me to documentaries is just the, the ease of being able to make one. And I actually started making YouTube videos. And so it was a, it was a kind of cool transition to go from that to documentary filmmaking and, you know, be able to carry a lot of the lessons I've learned um, from making YouTube videos. And, um, but mainly I think um, just as an artist, it was the easiest thing to get into and the subjects um, that interested me. Awesome. And diving more specific into that, what inspired you to create American and Odyssey in 1947? Uh, as you stated earlier, during the pandemic, you know, I said to myself, if I'm really going to get into this filmmaking thing, um, I better, I got a lot of catching up to do. You know, I wasn't a film film major, stuff like that. That I think I found um, a list by Spike Lee. And um, one of the first films I watched was Citizen Kane. You know, and that film just drew me in. Like, I was so absorbed in that film. I'm not sure, have you seen Citizen Kane before? I have, yes. Yeah. Um, I know it can get dull at times, but, you know, when I first watched it, it was really, it was a mind-blowing experience that, you know, in the four, in 1941, they were able to do things like this with the camera. And so as I watched all the other movies, the movie that I kept coming back to was Citizen Kane. And when I learned more about Citizen Kane and about the filmmaker Orson Welles, um, I realized that, you know, so this guy made a film and he was basically ran out of the country and no one's talking about it and no one knows about this. You know, I wanted to I wanted to make a film about that. I didn't actually want to make a film about that. I wanted to make a YouTube video about it. Like, I really just wanted to make like a 15 minute YouTube video about Orson Welles and how he was driven out of the country. And so. Um, as I started making this YouTube video, I was like, you know, maybe I should just start interviewing some people who are knowledgeable about the situation. And as that grew, I realized that, first of all, you know, the story is much bigger than um, Orson Welles and William Randolph Hearst. And two, that I wanted to make it into a documentary. And so we had a problem at that point because it was in the middle of the pandemic and we weren't allowed to travel. I'm from Canada. And all the interviews that I had to do were in the U.S. And so I had to wait for the vaccine to come out. And then as soon as I got my second dose, you know, it went to the U.S., went on a long road trip to get everyone interviewed. And so, you know, the process just became um, extremely, extremely rewarding. And, um, you know, that's how we got to where we are today. This is Kids First Coming Attractions, and you're listening to Ishan talking to writer, director, editor, and producer Danny Wu about the documentary American and Odyssey to 1947. Awesome. Yeah, so 
tell me more about like what exactly about his his story, Orson Welles' story, because I know that takes up a large part of the film. Um, it's almost half and half, right? I mean, uh, the first half is largely the story of Orson Welles. Um, what do you think will resonate with kids? Uh, what's something? What What are the things that kind of caught your attention? I think about Orson specifically, you know, I think it's just the fact that, as you see in the film, he was so directly or indirectly involved in so much of U.S. politics at that point, right, with the New Deal, you know, with World War II, with the um, with the McCarthyism, the blacklist, right? Orson was pretty much involved in everything there. And he kind of spearheaded the radio movement in the U.S., and so we wanted to we wanted to create the timeline of Orson from from Orson leaving, right? We start with him leaving, go back to the beginning, and then go back all the way to him leaving again in 1947. And then weave stories in between that of the cultural context at that time. Um, personally, a lot of the docu- like historical documentaries I watch is just one timeline. And to me, that like kind of gets dull. Um, so we wanted to make sure we have a few other stories um, to go along with it. And um, for me, one of the most interesting things about Orson, again, that drew me into him is his relationship with um, President Frank- Franklin Roosevelt. And, you know, when I look online, there's not much written about it. So, you know, I had to study a lot about that to to find out what what's going on there. And I realized that, you know, if I'm going to, put Franklin Roosevelt into the movie, you know, it's about all the great things he has done. We would also kind of be whitewashing, you know, some of the, some of the crimes that he's also committed. So and so crimes he's committed. And so I realized that as an Asian American, um, Asian Canadian, but it is my also, it's also my um, duty to, you know, talk about the Japanese internment camp. Right. So that's how we get the third storyline of Howard Kakita. And the interesting with Howard Kakita is that his story is a story of him coming back to the U.S. So we have the story of Orson, how what drew him out of the U.S. And then parallel to that is Howard and what brought him back back to the U.S. So at the end, it's one person leaving and one person um, coming back. So that was kind of what was going on in my mind in my mind at that time that this wouldn't just be a documentary solely about Orson Welles, but kind of like a timepiece, an artifact of the era in general. Sure. Yeah. No, and that's, that's a very interesting thought process. Actually, now I'm reframing it kind of as one person entering, one person leaving. Very cool. Um, so in the whole process of putting together the film, um, what was the most special moment, whether it's an interview, whether it's like coming up with archival footage, whatever. Okay. I'll talk about one in production and one in post-production. I think one in production is when we got Simon Callow to say yes to doing our documentary. Wow. Um, Simon Callow, he, you know, big time actor. Um, I was able to get a hold of his email. So it was a complete shot in the dark, the email I, I, I sent him. And uh, he replied a few days later saying, um, yes, he would love to do it. That was, you know, I was on cloud nine for like a few, a few days. Um, in post-production, I think once we started submitting to the film festivals and, you know, we didn't have luck for the first half year, right? We get into Newport Beach Film Festival 
And then, you know, I thought that was kind of it, right? You know, we get into a solid mid-tier film festival. At the end of um, 2022, like just right around New Year, I remember this so clearly. I was I was rewatching Argo for some reason, um, and then I I look I look in my email and the famous film critic Jonathan Rosenbaum, he put our film on his year end list for oh, best wow. films of 2022, and you know it was just I just remember seeing the list. It was like Banshees, um, Fablemans. American and Odyssey 7047. I was just, I, I like that, that kind of changed my life, you know. And then a few days afterwards, we got an invitation to screen at the Thessaloniki Documentary Festival. And to, to be able to get in there, you know, in 2023, it was just, it was an incredible moment. So I think those are the, the moments that I really cherish. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Wu, for chatting with me today. It's, uh, it's been super cool to get the behind-the-scenes view of American Odyssey 1947. Um, and to our viewers, American Odyssey 1947 releases in theaters on September 8th and on digital on September 12th. So definitely go and check it out. This is Ishan from Kids First. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channel so you don't miss my next interview or those of my teammates. Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you at the movies. To be born free is to be born in debt. To live in freedom without fighting slavery profiteer i'm tiana summers from delaware and you're listening to kids first coming attractions let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll have some more amazing interviews for you to enjoy stay tuned voice america is on linkedin connect with us today to become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Tiana Sermons from Delaware, and you're listening to Kiss First Coming Attractions. Our next segment is Sanaya Rain talking to writer and star Kate Larson on Into the Spotlight. Hi, I'm Sanaya Rain reporting for Kids First, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with 
Kate Larson about her new film, Into the Spotlight, which she is both the writer of and stars as Laura Banks. Miss Larson has loved performing since a young age. Now, she's not only in front of the cameras, but she also is writing scripts and stories. She is known for her role in A Very Corn Twin Christmas and the TV show The Glitch. Thank you, Ms. Larson, for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. One impressive career you've had. Into the Spotlight seems that it might be a bit biographical, is it? It is. It reaches like a lot of different ages. Um, when I first started writing it, my dream was to reach younger uh, kids and teens. But as the movie started filming, we our whole team started realizing that there was more than just teens could watch it, and that their whole families could watch it together. It was really, really neat. That's really sweet and a great way to show your work, too. How has being a performer from an early age impacted your in- involvement in this film as both a writer and an actor? Yeah, so I started theater when I was like around four. And then from there, I just kind of fell in love with it. And my mom just knew that there was going to be like a passion there later on. And so when I was around 12, I got into film acting and started taking my training very seriously because I felt like it was an area that the Lord was really calling me into. So as that kind of happened, I started writing like screenplays when I was probably around 13. I like loved writing novels and that type stuff. And so I got on set and I was like, I thought I could write a screenplay. And my mom was like, yeah, just go for it. Why don't you try it? So that night I just remember going home and I just started like writing one. And from there I was just hooked. So I wrote the short film for Into the Spotlight and then we filmed that. Then it got a great response. And then from there we started writing the feature. So, you know, it has had a great, not like my background in like musical theater definitely catapulted me into loving uh, musicals. And so I love how Into the Spotlight isn't just film and TV, but it also brings back kind of like my musical background. So yeah, yeah. that's actually, that's actually really great. And we actually have something in common too, because I started um, looking for agents and acting when I was two. So that that's cool. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Out of all the scenes, which can you say was your favorite? Ooh, I think there's so many. It's like hard to choose a favorite. Probably one of my favorites. I think the ending scene is probably my favorite. Um, not, not, not like the dancing part, but just this part where Laura and Ben kind of just come back together. And I don't know, like that was like the sweetest, uh, scene for me to like film and also to write because it just came from such like a sentimental place of just seeing friends, not, you know, give up on each other. And also seeing like her reunion with her family was also like one of my favorites. So yeah. Yeah. The end of this one was actually one of my favorites too. Cause I love I love the movie. Like it was just so well put together. And the ending actually did like surprise it was like surprising, but then it was also like nice and like gathering. So that was really nice. Yeah. That means so much. Seriously. I'm actually quite drawn to the costumes in this film. Which can you say the outfit was which outfit can you say was your favorite out of them all? Yeah, so the blue gown was probably my favorite uh, because I actually, so me and my mom were actually the ones that found it. And so we went from store to store and eventually we came and found, put on the blue dress and immediately I was like, yeah, this is Laura Banks right there. Um, I think it was just like such a pivotal part of the scene and all like the pivotal scenes she was in that dress. So I don't know, it just, it kind of had like a sentimental value to me. So even when we moved up to Nashville, I was like, I'm bringing my blue dress. I'm like, I'm not leaving that thing. It's, it's. It's really, 
That was probably my favorite. But I think Terry Middleton did all the costumes and she did such an incredible job. Seriously. You play the role of a daughter whose father isn't always around for her. Was that difficult to pursue? Um, It actually wasn't. Um, My dad has actually been really, really present in my life. So that's not like something I drew personal experience from, but I knew like a lot of friends who went through that with their fathers. And um, yeah, I think uh, William, I think he's a really neat character and I think it's cool to see the bond that him and Laura have. And also kind of, you see her bond with Lee Allen Baker, Kim's character. So it wasn't actually hard to betray, but both those actors, I mean, the moment I walked on the set, they were just so incredible to work with and so much fun and just so welcoming and especially with me being so like awestruck of them, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like they've done so much. I'm like, what am I doing? And like in every scene, they were just like, they just met me where I was at and they were so like nuanced and it was just, it was awesome. Couldn't imagine like better people playing my parents. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. And you played the role really well too. Thank you. What's one line from the movie that your character Laura says that really sticks with you? I think I think one of her lines is, uh, no, this is what I thought I wanted. This whole time I've been pretending to be something that I'm not. And I think that was like a line that really stuck with me. And even at the end, it was, you know, it kind of, after we filmed it, I was like, whoa. I'm like, that was really powerful. Because, you know, I feel like, I know for me, like I feel like a lot of our generation has, you know, we feel like we're being pressured into being something that we're not or you know, saying stuff so that just so it's cool and being in like the bandwagon type movement. But I feel like that was kind of cool for Laura to kind of see where she's like, you know what, this isn't me. And I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not just that people accept me. So yeah, that was probably one of my favorites and my favorite lines. That's, that's great. And that's really sweet too. Did you do any vocal training to prepare yourself for this role? So the part where I'm playing at the piano, that's me singing. And before filming into the spotlight, like it was seriously birthed off my insecurity because I hated my voice. So like the whole um, the whole story came from me being like, oh my gosh, I wish I could like sing into a magic microphone and it would give me the ability to sing. And so from there, there was honestly like no preparation uh, because Rizzy Myers was just so insanely talented. And yeah, just the part where I was singing, I mean, they were like, all right, sound as bad as you want to, Kate. And I was like, sounds good. So in real life, I do sing, um, but not to the same extent that Rosie Myers sings in the in the movie. Okay. And it actually matches up really well because I didn't know that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was really, really fun when we like when I heard her singing all the songs and like lip syncing and pretending her voice was mine was like so like insane i was like oh my goodness yeah she's amazing that actually leads to my next question too which is um laura plays the piano really well um <laughs> are you a pianist or did you have to learn to play for the world too? yeah so piano has been one of my biggest passions i absolutely love it i started playing piano when i was younger so i didn't have to learn it for the role but that was a really neat experience for me to kind of connect with laura on that level yeah. That's really sweet. And that's great to know, too, because in the movie, it seemed like you played it well. And now I know that is true in real life as well. Thank you. What message do you hope audiences will take away from watching this film? Yeah, I hope people can just be inspired and that it can be a movie that, you know, anybody can watch with their family. So we're not having to, like, sit there and fast forward through scenes. I just feel like that's something that can be really powerful. And I hope that younger girls can watch it and really resonate with Laura Banks and 
realize that they're, they are enough as they are. And you don't really need an object, you know, to find your identity in something else because you alone are enough. And yeah, I think that's like the main message and that your family and your friends are really important and not taking them for granted is, is really, really important. I think I definitely picked up on that too, because it was just such a sweet ending. Thank Um, you. Thank you for talking with me, Kate Larson. It's been a pleasure. Make sure to look out for Into the Spotlight when it releases on September 1st, 2023. I'm Sanaya Rain, reporting for Kids First. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channel to stay informed about upcoming films. Thank you. Bye. I'm Tiana Summers from Delaware, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have some more amazing interviews for you to enjoy. Stay tuned. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh, turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Tiana Summers from Delaware, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To close out our show, let's listen to Michaela talking to director Anthony Stachi and producer Palin Shu about The Monkey King. Hi, I'm Michaela, reporting here for Kids First, and today... I'm here with the award-winning director, Anthony Stachi, and producer, Palin Chu, for the new Netflix animated film, The Monkey King. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, um, my first question can be for um, Mr. Stachi. What originally drew you into taking on this film? Oh, um, I've always loved folktales. 
I, I, ever since we were in school, uh, I went to film school and animation school. Uh, they taught us that looking at folktales for story ideas was great. So about 20 years ago, I'd read Journey to the West, which sure. is an ancient Chinese folktale. And the Monkey King character comes from that folktale. And I loved it when I read it because it was so modern in its sensibility. And Monkey's such a funny, uh, funny character. In, and I just thought it would always make a great movie. So for years, I tried to get it started at other studios. And luckily, in 2018, I met Pei Lin, who had been working on it for years, too, and had a studio that actually wanted to make it. And it's really cool how you created that story into this film. Um, so my next question is for Palin. How has your experience on other films you've worked on influenced you with this one? You know, I think that this film is the source material is famously dense. So to adapt it into a film that was going to be relatable and accessible for a modern day global audience. Um, it's kind of like the jujitsu level development <laughs> of adaptations. And so I do feel like the experiences I had working on other films, some of them were also adaptations of famous legends um, or, or gods um, in within them and, and were based in Chinese culture um, really helped to inform the approach um, for this film and particularly the balance of how to make the film uh, new and fresh and exciting for the audience that already knows the film, as well as um, making it relatable and accessible for an audience um, that has never heard of Monkey King or Journey to the West. And I definitely think that you had like a really good balance of those two things that you were just saying. What would you say inspired the animation specifically for the film? Well, uh, like Palin was saying, there's been a long history of uh, the Monkey King or Journey to the West being made into movies. So uh, oftentimes they're live action movie. They're not animated. So a lot of times there's uh, a man dressed as a monkey, you know, with monkey makeup and stuff. And there's special effects and stuff. So we knew we were making a 100% animated film. So we knew that our look of the monkey character would be a monkey. He'd be 100% a monkey and he shouldn't look like a man in monkey makeup. And that because of who his character was, he would start the movie moving like a monkey. But then as he began to grow up and became more arrogant and more powerful, he'd start to move more like an arrogant man and stuff. So the style of monkey's animation grew out of that. And then we made sure that one of the people we were working with was a Hong Kong filmmaker named Stephen Chow who's famous for making movies like Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle. We asked him to introduce us to a choreographer in mainland China who knew how to do martial arts. So we met a young choreographer named Siwei Zhao, who, who had played the Monkey King in the Peking Opera, who knows martial arts and also can animate, can draw and stuff. So we used him to inspire all our fighting sequences and a lot of our poses for monkey. So really coming from the, the monkey uh, style of animation, that's our main character. So once we figured out how he would move, we knew that our little girl, who's just a normal human being, should move like a normal human. And then our villain, who's an underwater dragon king, who lives underwater, whose natural habitat is underwater. The idea there was that when he's underwater, he moves beautifully. 
you know, and beautiful, like a butterfly. But when he's above water, he's really awkward because he's not supposed to be above ground. And there could be some comedy in there. So almost always, if you if you take the time to really get to know your characters, they'll tell you the way they should move because their personality comes out of their movement. And then you have conversations with the animators and even the actors when they're doing the voices and you talk about you know, the way they should deliver the lines because this is the way the character is going to move during that moment. That's really cool how you took all of those things to create the animation. So, Ms. Chu, um, how do you think that the Monkey King and Lin were able to put their differences aside and come together in the end? Of course, their relationship starts out as a relationship of convenience, right? They both want and need things from one another. And I would say in a traditional Western film, they would both really learn and grow and and learn important lessons that enables them to come together in a different way. And I think that one of the things that was really important to us about our approach on the Monkey King was staying true to Monkey as a character. Um, and from the original Journey to the West, he actually doesn't learn or change or grow all that much. <laughs> um, and I think it's something that is kind of integral to who he is that we kind of fiercely protected throughout the process. But the one thing we felt like we could see from him was a, a caring for another person. I don't want to spoil the movie, but I do feel like they got to a different level of understanding with each other um, while still being able to have Monkey remain true to who he is. Right. It was really cool to see like how their relationships were able to mesh together since they were so different. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. Stachi, what do you hope that this will teach viewers about this movie, specifically kids? The, um, like Taylor said, is Lynn, the little girl character who goes through uh, a journey where she starts out, you know, wanting to do something big with her life, something important to affect her world and stuff. And she has, she has the sort of, you know, the sort of uh, uh, philosophy at the beginning that even a small pedal can make a big ripple. But by the end of the movie, she learns that, that she's the one who's in, in, in control of writing her own scroll, of deciding what her life's going to be, deciding. So I think that, ta that takeaway from it, that you're in charge, that you write your own scroll would be a great thing if kids remember that you know, in their head, they, that's their takeaway to it. And I definitely think what you're saying was shown throughout the film. So my final question for Mr. Stachi, um, the film is based on the Ming dynasty. So how much did you know about it before starting on the film? Uh, we, our production designer, Kyle McQueen, uh, did the deep dive into the different dynasties. Um, for the look of stuff like the robes that the gods are wearing, the style on the robes there, um, the, the headdresses that they wear and all that stuff. You know, we added a little bit of our own take on everything, but it was definitely inspired from those different periods. The, uh, uh, the other thing that it's not really authentic, certainly not authentic to Chinese history, but um, the fact that Stick is a, a character, Monkey's fighting Stick as a character with a voice, is a unique idea that Palin uh, had brought to the story before I even got there. And I love that that 
everybody knows who's, the way monkey acquires stick is pretty close to the bow tail. The way stick um, he uses stick and the way he fights with it is pretty authentic. But the fact that he's a character who talks is something brand new that we bought brought to it and stuff. So I like that stuff. It's got a little bit of, of authenticity, but also our own little unique twist to it. That's interesting. And for me, like I had just learned about this culture in school this previous year. So it was really cool to see it in like a film. Um, so yeah, those are all of the questions I have for you today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Miss Chu and Mr. Stachi for joining us today. Be sure to watch The Monkey King on Netflix starting August 11th, 2023. I'm Ekala reporting here for Kids First. Make sure to give this video a big thumbs up and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss another one of our videos. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. You have been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, as well as to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, kidsworld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. Again, I'm Tiana Sarms from Delaware, reporting for Kids First. Goodbye. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and tune in again next week.